Do All right, we have a few minutes, so tell us the lyrics to Canada. Mm. <clears throat> well, I'll give you a hint. It starts with O Canada. <laughs> <laughs> snap. Oh, no, snap. That's what I thought. Now, okay, let me ask you. Is it O Canada as in like when you sing it, is it like, like as in O-H Canada or like A-U? No, you know Canada, what? Because no, it's neither. It's, it's just actually an just an O. Because you know like A-U is pronounced O. No. Yeah, no, in we're French. not that sophisticated. And then O that? A, I feel like O H would be that'd be kind of like a little bit dirty, like O Canada. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, that's that. I I I feel like that was a legitimate question. It was a legitimate okay. question, it was. sure. Yeah, and very important yeah. to the rest because of the lyrics. Because because well, because sometimes you know, so you know, I mean, the way you 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 say it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: When you say O C, can you see? Is that O O H or is that O oh, or is that an A U? Good question. Good question. Uh, I believe that is an just an O. Oh, see, just like us. Huh. Maybe there we you ripped go. you guys off. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point. I never thought of that. Oh, we bo- uh, both are na- both our anthems start with start O. With o. What's with that? Your, your national anthem doesn't even say United States. Sorry, it's very o vague. Say, can you see? See what? By the dawn's early light. Well, I'm still trying to figure out what it is I'm trying to see. What's spangled? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's another word for like dotted. Scattered, dotted. I think, yeah, I think you have like spangles. Isn't that, that's a fashion term. We'll ask Izzy about it. It's an 80s band, isn't it? The spangles, yeah. That would, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like mixing bands together. Like kind of like we did like, you know, like Spacebook. Spacebook. <laughs> Blending social medias. Like it. <laughs> like the Spangles. It's like Bruce Springsteen and Ooh. the Bangles. Born on Manic Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Recording in progress. Welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Wow. <laughs> Left you hanging. You did. <laughs> and I tell you, it's, it's always something around here. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability t- community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot. And joining me today, Mr. Fashionista himself, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello, everybody. Uh, hey, and look who it is back for a triumphant return. Once again, the man who is bringing bell bottoms back, Mr. Steve Barkley. Banter, banter. Uh, and hey, we couldn't do this without, of course, joining us as well. Liz Malone. Feeling yeah. groovy. You know, given that we did a few hundred episodes before Liz joined us, I think we've actually proven we can do it without her. Don't tell her that at all. No, okay. All right. All right. Don't mention that. We didn't. We, we told her we were starting from scratch. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. She thinks right. this is episode 15. 15. <laughs> Check me out. I'm carrying this whole show. You guys are going to last for years now that I'm here. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, Steve, we did miss you for the anniversary show. We, we, uh, you were here in spirit, though. 
Oh, thanks. I mean, spirits. I mean, in, I mean, me, me and Liz drank while we did it. So. We Excellent. Did. That's the so, spirit. I. That's what I thought you would. I thought you would approve. Uh, hey, so Ryan. Yes. Could you tell the fine folks at home uh, just what the heck we are doing this week? This week we are talking all about adaptive clothing. And our guest this week is from Is Adaptive, who I first heard about on AMI's show Fashion Dis. Our guest is Izzy Camilleri. Hello. Welcome, Izzy. Hi. Hello. Oh, my God. It's so great to talk to you. Um, I, like Ryan, totally got uh, addicted to Fashion Dis. Uh, we had Ardra on uh, a few months ago. And uh, what a great, it was, a, it was just a great show. Um, and so uh, we we knew that we just had to reach out and, and uh, talk to you as well, because uh, we love the work that you're doing. So why don't we just start off with uh, maybe just give us a little bit of a, a snapshot about you uh, and just uh, about sort of your, your career in a nutshell. All right. Well, I've had a very long career, so I'll try to keep <laughs> might be a walnut. Um, uh, I started... Um, I started a, a business of fashion, designing fashion when I was 19 years old, straight out of fashion college. Um, I was doing like regular fashion and um, started building a name for myself in the Canadian fashion industry. And, um, you know, kind of, you know, kept it going. It's, you know, tough being Canadian doing fashion because Canada is not really known for, for fashion designers, really, not a, you know, globally. So, uh, I struggled along, and then in 2005, I met a woman named Barbara Turnbull, who was a wheelchair user, and um, she was quadriplegic from a very horrific incident that happened. And she, after she, uh, you know, kind of got her life back together, she was she became a journalist and the for the Toronto Star. And she asked the fashion editor at the star where she could, or who she would recommend to get some custom clothing done that would work for her while she was in her chair. And uh, I was recommended. And so I started working with um, Barb and my eyes were just open to the challenges she had with clothing. And I had no idea that challenges even existed. And so it was through working with her that I started really wrapping my head around um, the whole issue and, and the whole lack of clothing. And this was back in 2005. I don't know if I said that before, but yeah. So I started working with her in a few years after um, I opened his adaptive and, and, um, and I was, you know, pioneering this category. The only thing that was available at that time was clothing for the elderly or for people living in long-term care facilities. And, and I do want to talk about about that, about sort of the, the adaptive clothing industry and sort of some of the, the changes that uh, have happened since 2005. I'm sure they're, they're you know, quite big. But before we do that, I guess I want to just step back a little bit. And in, in case for, for those people in the audience that maybe don't really know what we're talking about when we talk about adaptive clothing, can you kind of give us a sort of an overview of, of what, we, what we're talking about when we, we talk about adaptive clothing and maybe some examples? Sure. So adaptive clothing uh, is clothing that 
is easier to get on if you, let's say, lack dexterity or if you have just physical challenges to get clothing on independently. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, Velcro can be replaced for buttons or zippers. Magnets can also replace buttons or zippers. Sometimes there's, you know, like, like a zipper pull so you can stick your finger in it to uh, move your zipper up and down. Um, clothes that fit the line of a seated person. So when you're sitting, you know, often our jeans, let's say, you know, kind of cut into our gut or ride down at the back. So these clothes are cut so that they don't do that and they're more comfortable while sitting. So it's just basically accommodations uh, to make clothes work better for people that live with a physical disability. So I'm assuming that when you went to fashion school, they weren't teaching anything about adaptive fashion back then, were they? No, I didn't even know the word existed. Yeah, and are they uh, now? They are, and um, I don't know to what extent, Sure. but um, I get a lot of people reaching out to me uh, about it from universities and colleges or students who are doing a project and you know are doing their research and they find me and want to pick my brain um but yeah it's really opening up well i know one of the things you mentioned on fashion disc was that there seems to be more and more people developing adaptive clothing so we're getting actual choice in the marketplace now mm -hmm. how, how have you seen that growth i would say in the last few years um one of the biggest brands uh, and early entry brands would be Tommy Hilfiger. And he actually started with a children's line first and then maybe three or so years ago, he started with an adult line. And um, that seems to be progressing nicely. Um, Nike has an adaptive shoe that's easy to, to slip on your foot. Um, and so there's just, you know, major brands are starting to offer adaptive options along with their other options. Well, and it's interesting because after, you know, we watched Fashion Disc, Rob and I were kind of raving about, you know, dress shirts with magnets instead of buttons. It's like, this should be for everybody. It's ease of use. It's convenient. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a revelation. Why is this taking yeah. so long to happen? Yeah. And, you know, when I... When I took this on professionally um, and as a business back in 2009, I was kind of asking that question, like, it's 2009, like, why hasn't anybody wrapped their head around this? And I think, I think that it's just that, like myself and, and other designers, like fashion designers, we never really knew a problem existed. And it's only unless, you know, either you're personally affected or you know someone you know in your circle um you know every time I saw someone with a disability they were dressed and I just you know you just don't think well how did they actually get dressed or what you know what challenges do they have like I just never asked those questions and I, I didn't know that it was a problem quite frankly and so you know often designers get accused of ignoring people with disabilities and ignoring this whole category but I I don't like when I hear that because I was one of those designers and I wasn't ignoring, I just didn't know a problem existed. Right. So, um, so now more and more, you know, companies are seeing, um, the issue and the, and the challenge that people have. And, and so more and more things are 
you know, companies are starting to open up to it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also interesting too, because it seems to be coming at a time when the, the fashion industry um, is sort of embracing inclusion more and more. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more models, say, um, with disabilities um, be, becoming, you know, a lot higher profile now. Um, do, do you sort of see these, the, those two things sort of, sort of going hand in hand in terms of, of growth? I do, but I think in some cases, it could be more of, you know, ticking a box mm. and, uh, you know, it being more of a token. Right. Um, and I say that because they're not really, they're not, they may hire a model for their advertising, but in some cases they're not adapting their clothes to accommodate that model. Right, right. So, I mean, but it, it is still all positive. And the thing about adaptive clothing is that you really have to do your research because you could, you could hurt someone. So... Uh, you know, seams could be in the wrong place. You can you can um, cause a pressure sore. Uh, you know, lots of things that you know you got to do your homework, and it's not just like designing a regular collection. So, um, yeah, if they're going to do it, they need to take it seriously and not you know just throw on a pair of pants with some back pockets on someone who's paralyzed that could cause a pressure sore. You know, like they need to know that. So can you sort of walk us through the process then that is adaptive? Because it, it sounds to me like you don't just have a room full of seamstresses, you know, sewing clothing together. There must be some consultation with the community. Everybody has their own special needs. Like, what is that process like? Well, um, I, the research that I did has been done throughout the years. Um, and yes, it was, you know, me having conversations with people, me listening. Sometimes someone will tell me, you know, a hack that their grandmother always does on their pants or, you know, stuff like that where, where I learned. Um, we don't really do custom work. So, you know, I needed to develop a line with, with common issues. Uh, for example, if someone is a wheelchair user and they, let's say, have two different leg lengths, so I can provide you with the pants that's going to accommodate a seated frame, but then you'll have to just go to your local tailor to just, you know, make that one leg length shorter, for example. Um, so I can't be everything to everybody, right. um, but I can definitely, like the clothes have already been made to accommodate the seated frame. And so those adjustments have, have already been done. And I've taken it as far as I can uh, and then if there's any other accommodation somebody needs, then they're going to have to take it that step further. Sure. Izzy, are there standards in the fashion industry, say, for like maternity clothes? Because um, I almost see maternity as being sort of that first generation of adaptive clothing. Um, so could that model of what those standards are sort of be rolled out or s gradually implemented um, in that same fashion? It's kind of like apples and oranges, but in some ways it's apples and apples. And I say that because, so if you're trying to accommodate a pregnant body, um, it's kind of the same in a way of accommodating uh, a seated frame where you just need to see where you need to make the adjustments um, 
to a typical pattern, let's say it can be a coat or a pair of pants or a top or whatever. So um, you just have to, you're, you're starting at, let's say a standard place, but then it has to be manipulated to accommodate whatever changes you need to make to reach the end result that you're looking for. You know what, it, it all comes down to problem solving. Right. Really, is, that's really all it is. Izzy, I'm very curious. I, I flipped through your uh, your, your gallery at uh, izzycamilleri.com, and you have some some amazing and iconic um, pieces uh, shown there. Uh, you know, from the from Gord Downey's uh, metallic suits uh, to stuff that you've done in film, um, and uh, I, I'm curious uh, now that you've had this experience with dealing with adaptive clothing, has any of that build over into the regular clothing that you're doing? Like, are you taking concepts that you've developed in the adaptive clothing and, and carrying them back into the fashion world? Well, I don't do a fashion line anymore. I haven't done one for a while. I still do film work and um, I, I'm, I'm kind of hired on to help out. And so I do a wide variety of things, um, but if anything, um, sometimes my pieces are purchased for a commercial or a film, um, or I get asked to help out or consult on how to make wardrobe fit a wheelchair user. So that's kind of, you know, where that crossover is. For people who are shopping for adaptive clothing, are there any other terms that are used out in the industry so that if you're, if someone were to be looking for options that there are certain there's other language that designers are using but referring to adaptive clothing um so far adaptive clothing seems to be it um mm -hmm. which is kind of sad because adaptive clothing is not the sexiest uh you know sounding word it sounds very medical mm -hmm. um when you were Speaking, not, not maybe not you, but earlier when we were talking about, you know, when you were talking about the magnets on the shirts and that, you know, anybody can use that, anybody, you know, whether you have a disability or not. Um, so that kind of falls under uh, the term universal and universal design. So coming up with pieces that, you know, can fit and work for everybody um, is ideal. Um, the only challenge for me is that like clothes that are designed for a seated frame cannot really work on someone who's standing. Um, it just doesn't, I mean, you can still wear it, but it's just not gonna look or fall the way that it's supposed to. Um, so, you know, and the only other thing that I can think of terminology wise is we have clothing that opens up in the back so that for people that and we call those like, you know, an open back t-shirt, open back or even open back pants. So if you're someone who has trouble raising your arms, for example, or even, you know, just getting on a t-shirt, we have ones that, you know, look completely uh, regular in the front, um, but then they open in the back. So you can dress someone from front to back and then close it at the back. So it, it makes dressing a lot easier. For, for not only the the person wearing the garment, but also for the dressers as well. So how challenging is it? Because it seems like adaptive clothing really has to, um, 
uh, ride this line between functional and and fashion. Is it is that a little bit more of a challenge when you're when you're when you've been approaching adaptive uh, clothing in terms of I've, we've got to make this look right, but we've also got to make it um, function. Uh, in a certain way, is that is that more of a challenge with adaptive clothing, or is it kind of the same with with uh, with non-adaptive clothing? Well, it is a challenge um, only with respect of deciding what kind of designs I'm going to do. And what I mean by that is, like when I started in 2009. And I saw that there was like literally nothing out there other than clothing for the elderly or people living in long-term care facilities. And um, which was very, you know, dated, a lot of really bad, uncomfortable polyester, which was used because long-term care facilities literally boil their clothes when they launder them so they can kill any kind of bacteria. Um, but uh, you know, again, in the early stages when I was doing my research, um, and this I'm going to give you a stat, which is a little bit skewed right now um, because of the boomer population. But at that time, 84% of people that break their back and become paralyzed are between the ages of 18 and 34. Wow. And that's, that's because of car accidents and sports. Right. And then the remaining 16% was the elderly. So right now there's the elderly numbers are a bit higher um, just by sheer population. Uh, but, you know, when you think about that, they're between the ages of 18 and 34. They don't want to want to be shopping at a place where, you know, the elderly are shopping. Right. So at that time, I just decided, okay, so like there is like zero out there. So I'm just going to start with wardrobe basics and I'm going to make it the most, you know, um easy designs in a way uh just so that it can kind of reach more people you know like we all wear jeans we all wear track pants we all need dress pants you know um you know just basics that everybody we all have in our wardrobe and i wanted it to be you know very um not you know not trendy and not kind of fashionable but at the same time you know the kind of clothes that we still all wear every single day. Um, so that's what the, the line has really been based on. And I have kind of, you know, offered leather jackets sometimes or do some things that are a bit more fashionable. But at the end of the day, those are the things that are that don't sell the most. It's it's the jeans and the track pants that sell the most. Right. So, you know, as a business, I need to do what's going to sell. Um, you know, and then that other stuff is just kind of, you know, uh, where I could just play a little bit, really. I'm going to ask this to everyone here today. Um, I'm a t-shirt and jeans guy myself, but are we starting to see mainstream retail stores look at adaptive clothing and, and set aside some space for, for that? Has anybody seen anything? I've certainly not seen no. anything. Yeah, I haven't. I think it's early days, yeah. unfortunately. Right. Um, I think too, uh, when I, when I first started this line, I was so excited about it. And I, I had a friend who was the fashion director at the Hudson's Bay company. And so she was in charge of like, 
all the fashion that was sold at the Bay at, you know, at the top level. And I took my line for her to see and she loved it, but she didn't know what to do with it. And she just felt like, you know, she, she didn't know how to fit it into the store. And she felt like she wouldn't have the right people to be selling it. And I just, I just literally just started. I probably had it, I was running for like six months or something. So I couldn't even tell her, you know, these are my best sellers, like this is what you need to do. And I was just too eager at the time. But I think that's the obstacle that that they just kind of don't know how to how to deal with it or work it. And just sometimes too, people say, you know, I don't have people with disabilities, don't come into my store. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's because you have nothing to offer. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Chicken and egg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know a guy named Luke Anderson who does Stopgap? No. No. Have you heard of Stopgap? No. No. I'm writing it down, though. Yeah. Luke is awesome. He um, He's an engineer, and he um, broke his back from a mountain biking accident, and he has a fairly high-level injury. And so when he, you know, started to go back to work and, and, um, you know, get back into living again after being in the hospital, um, he was just finding all these barriers of like, you know, a step, like three inches, four inches in his power chair. He couldn't get into a restaurant. He couldn't get into a store. So he developed these ramps that are wooden and they're painted in bright colors. And I think like um, Home Depot is a partner uh, like a sponsor. And, um, so he's been getting communities and neighborhoods to, um, you know, buy into these ramps. And I'm not even sure if they have to pay or whether they're even like donated and volunteers help make them. And because they're portable, they kind of, you know, there's a gray area with the the laws on having like this ramp coming out on a sidewalk because mm. it's a trip hazard. But because it's not permanent, he's been able to kind of make it work. And um, anyway, so I bring him up because he had the same issue when he was talking to retailers about getting a ramp in front of their store. And he'd be, you know, they'd say, well, you know, I don't make, I don't have people with disabilities coming into my store. And it's like, well, because they can't <laughs> yeah. you know, but then, but then the ramp, you know, speaking of universal, is good for women with strollers mm-hmm. or, you know, guys that are pulling in a dolly with, you know, yep. stuff and boxes. And so it's not just for wheelchair user. It's good for other people as well. The stories like that really amaze me too, because there are such small little things that have such a huge impact downstream. Um, once people actually pay attention and realize that, that there is this problem out there and there, there is this need. And I really feel like, um, adaptive clothing, especially, and I might be a little biased because, you know, I, I just binge watched uh, fashion discs, but it, it, there, there is such a, a need out there and there is such a huge impact, even just on little things. Um, you know, when, you, when you're prov- being able to provide this sense of fashion to people who've never had it before because they've never been able to find the right clothing, uh, it, 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 it's huge. 
it's huge for a lot of people. So let me ask you this: what uh, What's your experience now that you've you've been in this industry for over fifteen years now? Was it Was it a really slow rolling start? Are you finding that you're really starting to to gain traction? What's sort of What's your trajectory been like? It's been a slow burn. Um, you know, it's been challenging. Um, it's been good, you know, uh, but it has definitely been a labor of love. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to wear adaptive clothing. They want to wear what everybody else is wearing. Um, but once, you know, once we can make that sale and have the person experience the clothes are comfortable without lacking style. So once we, you know, once we get a person to become a believer, you know, we've done our job, but, but it, 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 it takes time. But, um, my most recent pant, I'm not sure if you're aware, I have a pant called the game changer and it's a seamless back pant. So hmm. it's much safer for people to wear, especially if you're paralyzed and you're at risk of a pressure sore. Right. And this is something that since day one, I've had people asking me to create a seamless back pant. And in the beginning, I, I didn't understand why they were asking me to do that because I didn't really, I had no idea what a pressure sore was, did not know how serious and the fact that it was, that it's deadly uh, potentially. Um, but then, you know, through the years I started understanding and then, but I kept thinking, well, that seam at the back of a pant is so integral to creating a pant. And it, you know, divides right and left, it divides front and back, it allows dimension between front and back. And I really did not think it was possible to create like a fitted pant, like a pair of jeans, for example. You know, you can see like harem pants and really baggy pants that maybe have no seam at the back, but then you're sitting on all these folds which, you know, again, is not ideal and, and could be risky. And then just before COVID, um, a guy called me and asked me the same question. And then COVID came down and I, I was sitting at home kind of, you know, staring at the wall, wondering what was going on and what was happening with the world. And I started thinking about this issue and I just decided to crack it. And um, so I started talking to health professionals, someone I know uh, nearly died from a pressure sore. So I used him actually as a guinea pig. Um, he's one of our models and he's become a really good friend. And um, so I, I asked if he could help me with the testing of the pants and, you know, to make sure they're comfortable and they're kind of doing what they need to do. And so through the course of a few months, I figured it out and, um, I actually got a patent on it because I realized the importance of these pants. And since I've been at it for so long, I've seen so many companies knock me off too, which is really, you know, difficult to watch because I had, I couldn't protect myself in the past. And so when, um, uh, and just as an FYI, once you put something out on the market for one year, it's not patentable. So anything I did in the past, I couldn't protect. Um, but then with this pant, because I realized how important and serious the design of these pants were, I 
I went in, I took the steps to get them protected. Um, and so they're our best sellers now. And I actually don't even want to offer any pants with a seam in the back because it's, it's dangerous. Allowing this one guy, the, the model, he, for him, they allow him freedom because he knows that he can spend more time in his pants than he could before in other pants. And because uh, he's, I think he can only be in a pair of pants for about three or four hours and then he's got to, he's got to change. Right. But uh, now he can spend more time in them and he doesn't have to, you know, keep looking at his watch or, you know, checking his derriere to make sure there's no marks and, and things like that. Different adaptive clothing, is the material itself important as well? Like, do you have to sort of stray from how you would, you would design, uh, say, a conventional pair of pants uh, based on uh, the material? Well, not ne- no, not necessarily. Like, on the most part, you can really, you know, use a lot of the same fabrics. You do still want to think of comfort, and right. I always try to um, have, you know, pick a fabric that has a stretch in it. Cause again, when we sit, for example, our bodies spread out. So, uh, you know, you wanna have that accommodation. You don't want fabrics that are too stiff or uncomfortable. Um, so it's, 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 there's nothing really specific. It's just keeping some things in mind. And, and for some people they do have skin issues that they need to be aware of too. So I do try to, you know, just kind of keep all that stuff in the back of my head. Right. Do you find that you face any manufacturing barriers uh, with these, uh, these new designs? Um, Well, yes and no. Uh, No, because they're constructed in the same way that anything else would be. So, you know, even as a fashion designer doing uh, any kind of ready to wear collection, you come up with new designs all the time and new, you know, silhouettes and things like that. And um, so when you give it to a sewer, especially like the first person to sew a garment is called a sample sewer. So you give it to the sample sewer, who's usually pretty open-minded to begin with. And they'll, you know, and you're, you've given them all the instruction um, and you know the sketch and the you know technical details and whatever and and it's just sewn. So with adaptive clothing, the cuts might be different, but it's kind of no different than designing anything else that a sewer has to sew. It's no different when we talk about assembly. But because I know with my stuff, a lot of manufacturers have never seen clothes kind of shaped in the way that that mine are, for example. And so it does kind of take a minute for them to kind of digest it. And sometimes they feel like they need to correct what looks wrong, but what's wrong is actually right. And if they correct it, then that's wrong, right? So- (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So then once they get it um, and I just tell them, okay, just follow my sample that we've produced in my studio, just follow the sample. like don't change anything it needs to be the way that i'm giving it to you so and sometimes i think they're doing me a favor by correcting it it's like no just that's right you know what i've given you is correct and sourcing material like creating these magnetic buttons for example and and whatnot are those things that are 
readily available or are these sort of things that you kind of have to sort of do a little hunting and gathering to find the right types? They're, they're pretty much readily available. And um, sometimes their, their initial reason for being, for example, was not to be a magnet on a shirt, but maybe a magnet on a wallet or, you know, um, things like that. So sometimes, you know, there's, there's things out there that you can find that, you know, you can use for adaptive clothing, for example, but it was never meant for that. But not to say it can't be used for that. Just like a magnet on a purse. I love this whole like peeling back the curtain behind how garments are made. <laughs> so, okay. So this is because uh, sometimes my mind goes in the gutter and I'm going to apologize That's all right. right off the bat. So like when people who work in the adult industry, when they kind of have like, like those breakaway <laughs> garments on stage and stuff like, I would think, oh my gosh, like to rip all those buttons, everything. Are those like magnets that they're using or Velcro or what do you, what do you think's going it's on up there? Button. It's gotta be magnet. Um, it depends. Um, not that I, you know, I have <laughs> direct experience, but I would suspect that it's Velcro. Um, and it could be magnets, but, um, magnets like Velcro is a lot easier to work with. And, um, magnets are a bit trickier because you need to be really precise where the magnets are going is when you have a right, right. and a left. Um, Cause if it's not in the right spot, then the garment's gonna pucker. But you know, with Velcro, you can just adjust it. It's quick, it's, it's so I, I would assume that um, it's Velcro. See, it's another great selling point for adaptive clothing. You could just kind of break out, break out, like, you know, for certain garments, right? Come on, Ryan. Yeah, well, yeah. and we have we have pants that also undo downsides, just like a breakaway pant, but it's with a zipper. So the the good thing about like so the the functionality of that um, is if you wear a leg bag, for example, you can it's a two ended zipper too, so you can unzip it from the bottom up to access your leg bag, or if you need to access your crotch, for example. There's zippers down both sides, so you can you know, can unzip it and flap right. your, the front of your pants open. Or it can serve as that breakaway pant for that stripper. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be well, a stripper. It may on. be a husband-husband or wife-wife or husband-wife. Sure, they just yeah, want to be intimate, sure. right? Sure. So. Hey, it doesn't matter where you're stripping, but exactly. the whole when point it, has got that functionality. Right, when it comes right down to it, though, nobody wants Steve with breakaway pants. True. <laughs> or Ryan I, with I, chaps. I I would be I would be that guy in the office just walking through the office going, "Hey, check this out." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and then the lawsuits begin. And that's where the HR department comes cue, in. Cue the lawyers. <laughs> okay, I've got a sort of an open-ended question. Um steering things back on in back from the weeds. Um where do you, and, and you may not be able to answer this, Izzy, but uh, I'm just curious, um, where do you kind of see the, the barriers between this real breakthrough of adaptive clothing into sort of mainstream retailers um, or, or even just 
uh, more awareness. Is it is it like do we need more um, big clothing retailers jumping on board of this and, and giving some retail space to adaptive clothing? Or where do you kind of see the holdup? Um, yes to what you just said. Like I think more and more uh, brands um, jumping in is just going to shine a brighter light on it. Um, again, people, and then that will also solve that other problem where people just don't want to wear adaptive clothing um, for lots of different reasons. Um, then again, you know, if it can be made cool and it can be made, um, you know, it it looks like anybody else's clothing and, and the functionality of it is really hidden. And um, so it doesn't look any different. Um, and, you know, for some people, it might be a price barrier. Yeah. Well, actually, while, while you mentioned that, so what is sort of the, the, the price point of adapter clothing? And is, is that a barrier in your experience? Well, it's not so much the work that goes in, like the preliminary work. It's not so much that. It's about scale. So, um, you know, where are you producing? Are you producing in North America? Or are you right, producing right. offshore? And if you're producing offshore, you need to be doing big volume. Right. And so if you're not doing big volume, you can't uh, yeah. do it offshore. And so on the most part, you know, it's not cheap. Yeah. And um, sometimes, you know, people... Uh, get pretty upset about that and they just don't understand how it all works and a lot of times I get accused of taking advantage of people with disabilities which could not be further from the truth right. and um you know there's no e explaining and, and making people understand because all they know is that they can buy a pair of jeans at Walmart for $25 or $30 right I'm not Walmart and that's right you know like and so people just don't get it they don't understand well why can walmart do it and you can't and so it's it's hard because like i've given up so much for this and i've you yeah. know like i've it's been it's been you know really hard and um but people just don't they don't see that and all they know is that my prices are too expensive for them to afford and they often say like nobody with disabilities can afford your stuff which is not true because we have a lot of customers who can't afford it and it's just like mainstream fashion there's people that can afford a high-end you know a higher price point and there's people that can't but hopefully as i move on and grow the company i can start bringing my prices down as you know my my numbers go up yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and you know, a lot of us here have um, experience in the assistive technology field, and it's it's exactly the same. A lot of the the devices, the equipment, um, are all high priced. But I mean, again, it comes down to manufacturing and just uh, the scale. Yeah, hmm. right. Yeah, we hear the same thing about braille displays. Why can't a braille display be cheap? It's because they don't make a lot of braille displays. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Izzy, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your evening uh, to come talk to us. Um, where, if, if people are interested, where can they find you online? 
uh, where can they get more information and check out your store? So they can find our online store at isadaptive.com. Um, and we are, our social channels are isadaptive um, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Well, listen, uh, I'm excited to see more of you, hopefully, on uh, Fashion Disc Season 2, if it happens. Yeah, certainly. fingers. I hope so. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Izzy. Thank Can you. Oh, what a lovely lady. Indeed. I love that name, Izzy. I mean, that's such a cool name. You got to... You have to work in either music or fashion to have the name Izzy. No, or, you don't. Or, you or assistive technology. technology. We yeah. worked with a with a lovely Scottish lady named Izzy for years. Yeah. Or AT. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, but music and fashion, well, I was like, what a cool... It's like, true. It's a natural fit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I, I love this idea of universal design and fashion. I, I, you know, but when you think about it, it has been around for quite a while because like shoes that, that have, have Velcro on them instead of laces, those have been a thing for, for quite a while. Uh, and same thing with, with shoes with no laces that you just slip on. Um, and I never even, it never even occurred to me that those are, are obviously great adaptive clothing that just sort of spill into the mainstream because some people like me, are lazy and I don't want to bend over and uh, you know tie up my shoes. So having a Velcro shoe, I thought that was pretty cool for a while. That whole concept of necessity versus luxury. So, yeah. yeah. But I, I've been seeing there's a and I can't think of the name of the brand off the top of my head. But I've been seeing this these commercials running for these shoes like you, that you mentioned, and that's their whole selling point. Oh, you just, they, they slip right on. You don't need to, you know, use your finger to hold the, you know, the back doesn't collapse. They won't, they, they stay on strong, no laces, no nothing. Um, so yeah, it's, they're definitely, they're definitely capitalizing on the laziness of, of people and their wardrobing. Well, again, it's just, it's just this great or part the, of the need of people in their wardrobing. Yeah. Well, it's the mainstream that's going to that. That's definitely their laziness, for sure. But, but keep in mind, though, in that mainstream, there's all kinds of people who have minor injuries, so on and so forth, that you know might not be able to bend over and you know put put a shoe on. Oh yeah, yeah no, and absolutely. But it's the, it's the it's the lazies that are going to make it more ubiquitous. So yeah, that's probably they can, the mass they can bring, market. They can bring bring the prices down. Yeah, um, fair. yeah. To make it more universal. Yeah. So we love we we love you, lazies. You make it. You make you make life so much better. Make for the our rest market of us. bigger. <laughs> but also it's so learn to read braille. <laughs> Come on, people, let your fingers do the walking. Come on, learn braille. But it, but it is. It's a sad truth. We we've talked about this for years. I mean, that's what what it really takes to get to get the numbers up there, so that if these these things can trickle into the mainstream. Is that is the the greatest way is that is to get um, the mainstream embracing any that particular um, style or brand or piece of technology. Um, and that's what usually generally needs to happen to really supercharge um, these things. And I feel like adaptive clothing is is so important, but it just it it's not quite there. But I would love to be able to like walk into your your big box store and find, you know, adaptive clothing section. And I just wonder how many years away we are from seeing that. 
Well, why does it even have to be its own section? Why can't you walk into Walmart, go to the men's section, and you're looking at dress shirts, and you just happen to find a dress shirt with magnets instead of buttons? Well, sure, for that. But I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying, because I do, I understand what, you know, what Izzy's saying is that there is sort of that, that universal design stuff that, yes, you could see that everywhere. But then there's also the stuff that, you know, really is, is very made specialized. for like seated sure, people yes. who are seated, right? Yeah. Where you have the backlist or the seamless, right? Like, and that, those are the, the sort of things that you would, you would sort of need to the have as their own section yeah. in the store. Um, but it would be great to see, it'd be, be able to, for a wheelchair user to just be able to wheel into Walmart and be able to like, yeah, I'm going to go buy a new pair of jeans that, you know, that, that are adapted. Um, that's sort of the, I, I think the ideal. And, uh, but I don't know, it sounds like we're, we're kind of still a ways away from that yet, but hopefully not too far. Well, they got to be able to get up and over the curb to get into Walmart before they can <laughs> shop Walmart. So, and that's, and that's where that curb guy comes in. That's exactly. right. Stop gap. That's All right. right. Now we'll get there. We'll get there. We just got to keep doing the podcast for another seven years. See, we'll look back in seven years and be like, oh man, remember, remember how things have changed. Look at that. Yeah. We solved everything. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> that was a good podcast. Solved everything. <laughs> it's true. Uh, that was fun, though. Um, well, anything else to add? Anyone else got any? Uh... Nope. No. Time for dinner and a shower. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. How do you do with the? How do you do with the water tank? Uh, we got the hot water tank. They ended up having a pump, so we didn't have to handbag buckets of water up the stairs and out the door so they had the hose and the pumps and that took about 45 minutes to drain the tank and so all in all they were here about two hours we have our water again not at all no no we called three different companies starting on saturday when we noticed we had no hot water and melani was the only ones that called us back and you know basically came the next day so yay melani thank you so much Oh, nice, wow. This, nice this episode plug. of, yeah, really, this episode of AT Banter brought to you by Milani. Milani Plumbing and Heating, your you know, source for it's you know funny. number. Milani is, is one of the biggest plumbing companies in town. Yep. And uh, they are, uh, as far as our strata goes, so like I live in a strata corporation with 102 units in it. Mm-hmm. And when we have to shut down the water, for a block of buildings in here, yeah, we, we call Milani because they are one of the companies with the competency to turn it back on very, <laughs> slowly. very slowly. slowly, rather than blowing out pipes all over the complex. <laughs> Lessons I, learned over the years. Yeah, I do have to say the guy that came today was phenomenal. Just very personal, yeah. courteous, very, very, very good. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, Boy, and I wouldn't even mention the name of my hard seltzer I was drinking last week. I know. Let's see. You you clearly just just dive into the the corporate uh, shilling. Hey, I'm looking for a payday. See? (laughs) You're holding out. (laughs) I'm holding out. These these meatheads just did that for free. (laughs) (laughs) And they just talked about how they're the biggest player in town. I'm like, yeah, show me the money. (laughs) <laughs> that's right ryan you should just been you'd be like do you know who i am 
I think you're going to want to knock a couple hundred bucks off this. Uh, well, they actually here. did because they, they, they put a hole in our wall going down the stairs. So, oh, well, oh okay. Well, off. that's now I take it back. Yeah. It's, okay, they knocked a little is... bit off. Yeah, the hot water tank they didn't get completely drained, I guess. And so when they were oh. hauling it up the stairs or bringing the new one down the stairs, um, I guess one of them slipped on a stair and it gouged the wall. So there's no hole in the wall, but. There's mm -hmm. a mark. <laughs> you hear that? You hear that, folks? Look what Melanie did. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, they knocked a couple hundred bucks off. They did, indeed. Like they, uh, they, owned up. they owned up. They did, vandals. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. That well, was kind of a backhand, yeah, backhanded um, plug for them, huh? Well, that's because they weren't paying us. If they had been paying us, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. All glitter bombs. Yeah. No, no, no glitter bomb this week. <laughs> No, no, oh no, no, spa no spangles. Spangles and glitter. Spangles? That's the spangles. name of my new band. Uh. My new song is going to be Spangles and Glitter. <laughs> That's the name of my next song, Spangles and Glitter. Or Glitter okay, and well, Spangles. I like I'm the holding glitter you to that. Glitter and Spangles? Glitter okay. and Spangles. All right, we'll work on that. I can't wait to work on the music video for that. <laughs> <laughs> Breakaway clothing. That's right. Glitter. I have so many connections now. <laughs> got, it's got Izzy who can design us some breakaway clothing. Mm -hmm. need, uh, we need this, just a glitter manufacturer. Uh, okay, well, let's get out of here let's then go. since uh, we're all hungry and Ryan's stinky. So, uh, hey, Liz. Hey, Rob. Uh, where can people find us? We can be found on the web at www.atbanter.com. We can also be reached at uh, an email that goes along the lines of cow <laughs> cowbell <laughs> at atbanter.com. Didn't know if you were going to get there or not. Yeah, and well. if you want to look for us on social media, don't because we're not there. We no, just we hate social media. We just can't stand it. It's terrible. No, it's awful. We're, it's influencing elections in the Philippines. I are mean, you are you off the social media now? Did you have you taken? You better not be. His company out? has a Facebook page, and you better start looking at. It. I can't because if my company has a Facebook page, That's I have to be on Facebook <laughs> and Twitter. So yeah, so you can find Canadian Assistive Technologies on Facebook and Twitter. Shameless plug, uh, and and there might also be an AT Banter page there. There I can't. Is. I can't wait. I can't wait till Meta crashes and burns. I'll be honest. They're not going. Oh, we've to. already talked. I know. I, yeah, I've already. I don't think they're gonna. I've already started researching if I can upload my consciousness to the metaverse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be cool. If there, we could do that, that could be. There's places that are actually advertising uploading. That, yeah, uploading you your consciousness. Yeah, to... Google it. Uplo see if you can upload yourself to the metaverse. I'm, Actually, this is this is actually a really good idea, Ryan, because I don't really want to change tech support in the future. So. <laughs> you won't need tech support in the future. It'll all be AI. Well, you know, I, I'd prefer to have some human experience in there until the AI takes over. Well, listen, have you tried to call anybody? Like, you can't you can't actually reach a human on a phone anymore. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. It's only a matter of time. When is yeah? I mean. How long before AI just answers a company's email itself? Just you're you got chatbots chat, now on your website. Chatbot or yeah. an email bot, and you just 
That's right. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do in the future. We're just going to sit around. I guess we're watching Netflix and letting the robots and the AI do it's all the work. It's going to be 24-7 Netflix and chill. Yeah. So yeah. I'm down. Uh, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, big thanks, of course, to Izzy Camilleri for joining us. Big thanks to you for listening. And we will see everybody next week. Banter, banter. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.